0: I want to get into just obviously the text this morning, every year I try to read the Christmas story and simply say, Lord, what is it that you want to reveal to me? What is it that you want to speak about this morning? And every year I just focus on a part of whatever he allows me to focus or has me focus. So I wonder if you can go to Luke chapter 2, we're going to go through two texts this morning and we're going to look at what happened and why it happened. Kind of a big deal, one of the most important days In history, up there with the resurrection, with the ascension of Christ, obviously the death of Christ on the cross, and every person in the world sets their life by this event. Every time you write a check, which no one does anymore, any time you write the date, you set your calendar, your world, by this event, because that's when the date's changed. And so whether you confess Christ or not, you actually write His date whenever you write the date. So, it changed everything. It truly, truly did for the king to come from heaven and be born as a baby. But we're going to look at what happened and why it happened. Luke chapter two, I'm not trying to be uh, what's the word? The Grinch, not at all. I want to share with you what actually happened. You know this we have a story in our mind, and I'm not a, I love the Christmas story I love. I have no issue with differences i just from my perspective what actually happened historically and what actually took place we're going to look at that we're going to look at why so let's go to Luke chapter 2 verse 1 and we'll read it says it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria so all went to be registered everyone to his own city joseph also went up from galilee out of the city of nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So that's one check. That's a prophecy fulfilled of the line of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. They were most likely actually married at this point, but he had not been with her, obviously, and the Bible actually says that in Matthew. So, So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So, we have to firstly understand, so so many times you just read the scriptures, but we don't take the time. A decree went out from Caesar, so from a a pagan king, in a sense, a decree goes out all of a sudden for an order for everyone to be registered, and that brings Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. The Old Testament prophesies that's where Christ was going to be born. There's no possible way that a, a king, with the way the Jews were looking for a king, looking for a Messiah, he's not looking to bring about a revolt. He's not, but yet he's fulfilling without his knowledge. He's fulfilling exactly what would happen and he has no knowledge of it. It just so happens, it says so it was that when they came there, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem at the exact time that another person sends out an order that has no clue of Old Testament prophecy. This currently right now, they're studying this in the Muslim world and a lot of Muslims are getting saved because of this truth. Because they said there's no way that that could be possible. Then verse 7 says this, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So I'm going to ask you to remember swaddling cloths and manger. Can we do that? Okay. The word inn, this is where I'm not trying to be the Grinch. But the word inn actually just means guest room or guest chamber. It's it's used other times in Scripture when Jesus said, find me a guest room or find me a room to celebrate Passover and so forth. There is no mention of an innkeeper in the Bible. And so we have something in our mind about them going to like a hotel and there's no room. Personally, I don't think that happened. I think they actually were staying in a place and it is more likely that there was no room that it could also be translated dining, eating area. There was no room where they were staying for Mary to have the child. It's more likely. Historically, that's more likely. So that's probably what was going on. And then they talk about swaddling cloths and a manger. Verse 8 says, now that we're in the same country, can we remember the same country? So I'm asking a lot of you this morning, three things. Same country, that's a lot. Manger, that's a lot. Swaddling cloths, that's a lot. So there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. I think that's an appropriate response. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings means good news. It actually technically means good happenings. Something that has happened that is great, which will bring about joy. But it'll bring great joy Which will be to all people. Right there they're actually beginning to look towards Gentiles, not to Jews, to say all. All people. Okay. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, or Bethlehem, a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. That phrase, that Verse 11 in the Aramaic, which is what it was written, is taken very different to the way they wrote it actually in Hebrew um, and in Greek. It says this in the Aramaic. This is exactly what it says, exact translation. For today in Bethlehem a rescuer, isn't that nice? A rescuer was born for you, not to you, for you. For today in Bethlehem a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Jehovah. The word in the Aramaic is Jehovah or Yahweh, which to Jewish people would have been almost extremely offensive. There, there were groups of Jewish people back then that wouldn't even say that the word Jehovah or Yahweh. It was too holy. And the Aramaic says it just like that. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Jehovah, the Messiah. It's actually what it says. To them, they would not have understood. He's born that of a woman, therefore a man, a human, but he's Jehovah. It's the first... Time in Scripture, it points to the God-man, Jesus Christ. And as these shepherds, they would, have, they would have really boggled their mind. We don't see it so clearly until you start to get into it. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So that's a reminder of the two. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them, verse 15, uh, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known. And they made haste, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger And when they had seen this, they made widely known the sayings which was told them concerning this child. I want to present to you maybe just a different option for you to consider, something that I I personally think is what happened, is, is that when the angel said, this will be a sign to you, he's speaking to shepherds. He's saying, this is going to be a sign to you. We're going to do this. All right. You won't forget. I can promise you. That's a good look. Thanks, Josh. If I throw this over, then we get trouble, yeah. So, so, But he says you're going to find a baby in a manger, a babe wrapped in swatting cloths and in a manger. Now, why did it, why, that? why would that be a sign? Why did the angels not go to the governors or the, the rabbis? Or the, why to them? Well, there's a writings called the Mishnah, which is second to the Torah, to the, to the Jewish Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The Mishnah is still around today. They call it the oral Torah. It was all the oral traditions passed down from the rabbis. It's rabbinic literature. It was actually what dictated the very details of their life, sometimes more than the Torah. It's not considered scripture or holy, but it was very strictly observed and very strictly followed. at its high point in the days of the Pharisees and of Jesus. And it gave many regulations that we are not aware of. Very, very many regulations. And the Mishnah, so it's very high. It's in a book called the Talmud. It's followed by Jewish people still today. So in the Mishnah, there's these orders or decrees or uh, regulations that there are to be no shepherds keeping flocks. There's to be no flocks in all throughout Israel anywhere except for the wilderness area, which is great because there's wilderness everywhere. But they weren't allowed to be, you know, within a certain distance of a town or in a field or by a temple or by a city or, or so forth. Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all the surrounding fields were not in the wilderness. They were in these areas which only certain types of flocks were allowed, called temple flocks or temple shepherds. These were priests, these were rabbinic shepherds who would keep sheep and flocks for a very specific purpose of raising them for sacrifice in the temple. Okay, so they had to be without spot and blemish it was a very difficult task very difficult thing to do they were preached they had awareness of scripture they knew the prophetic you know, scriptures and so forth and they would raise these temple flocks in this exact area in fact the Mishnah actually decrees that Bethlehem is to be the certified location where they would bring forth Passover lambs because the Passover lamb had to be without spot without blemish it was greatly scanned right? Agreed? Okay, good. So we're on the same page. It also says that they had to watch over their flock by night. There it says, they were watching their flock by night. Earlier in the scripture, it talks how most shepherds in those days would actually sleep at night in the entrance of the pen, if there was a pen, and so forth. But temple shepherds were not allowed to. The missioner declared that temple shepherds had to have 24-hour watch of their flocks, so they had shifts. So when it actually says, we don't know this because we're not Jewish people. Some of us are not. But when when it says they were keeping watch over their flocks by night, it meant something. The Bible doesn't waste words, friend. It meant something. These were temple shepherds. These were rabbinic shepherds. And it's a very interesting understanding as to why this is so important. What they used to do was they used to take swaddling cloths, which was not swaddled. Now, I've swaddled my kid. I wasn't the best at it, but I've tried I swaddled my two boys, you know with the blanket that you get from the hospital with the little purple stripes. Who didn't get a purple stripe blanket? I think that's like the only one they have. There we go. Must be from out of town. So, the what do they call the swaddling cloths were actually like 4 or 5 inches thick and quite long, 4 or 5 yards long, and they would wrap them individually, the arm, the legs, the body all the way up. And these temple shepherds would actually take these newborn lambs Inspect them. If they were unblemished, they would wrap them individually, legs, the bodies, the arm, everything. They would wrap these brand new baby lambs, and they would lay them in individually placed mangers with what they called soft hay. Those were the ones certified to be sacrificed for the atonement of sin. So yeah, the angels appear to temple shepherds. It says you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. These were priests. They were not uneducated shepherds. They were priests. I personally think it was, well, you've just told us Yahweh. You've just told us Jehovah. You've just told us this is the God-man. Why are we going to position him wrapped in swaddling cloths as a preparation for sin offering? Because their their Messiah was just a political figure. You know? Even the disciples thought that at the end. They hadn't understood yet. He's the God-man who comes to take away sin for the world. So... It's something that we don't fully grasp, I don't think, that when these shepherds came in, it says they made haste and they came to the place they were, they saw something that they were very familiar with, something that they specifically did all the time. They saw this baby wrapped up like a Passover lamb in a manger. They knew exactly what that meant. There's something about this child that has to do with the sacrifice for sin. I don't understand it. It's probably why they went around telling everyone the saying, and it says people marveled. I also think they were temple shepherds largely because people wouldn't listen to normal shepherds. They were uneducated people. But temple shepherds were priests, and people would listen to them. They knew the prophetic scriptures. I also would go further. This we don't really know, just my perspective, that there was a place... In Bethlehem, on the outskirts of Bethlehem, which was called a flock tower. A flock tower was a high place built up, you know, where they would keep these, some special flocks, because it was away from predators and criminals and thieves and so forth. But there was one specific flock tower that is a famous flock tower in the Bible. It's called michdel Eder, and that's where Jacob buried Rachel. And it's in, that, in this like mountainous area, in this high flock tower, inside that was a cave, and it was protected. You couldn't really get into it. There was a cave that, Mishnah talks about it, other writings talk about it, and in this cave, in this flock tower, it was on the outskirts of Jerusalem, directly heading, I mean the outskirts of Bethlehem, within Bethlehem, directly heading to Jerusalem. So it became the designated place. Where they would go and take these ewes from these temple shepherds and bring them to lamb. In other words, they would let the lambs be born there. These Passover lambs, and it was uh, actually a holy site. It would be kept ritually clean, so we, you know all of that. So there would have been. So when, if you note, the angels never said exactly where to go. They just said in the city of David. They just said in Bethlehem. But it says they made haste. You don't you don't run to a place you don't know, unless you're really fit. But you don't, you don't just run, you don't go to a place you just don't know. They went somewhere. They went specifically straight to a place. It is my personal belief that they went here. I mean, even in Micah 4, eight, it says, And thou, O tower of the flock, in Hebrew, that's Michtel Eder, the tower of Eder. The stronghold of the daughter of Zion, because it was up in a high place, it was like a stronghold. And to thee shall it come, even the first dominion, speaking about David, like it was in David's day, the first, the high point of Israel, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Israel, which is Bethlehem. It's a prophetic, it's a prophetic picture of the shepherd king like David shall come from this place, Michdal Eder. It's actually a prophetic declaration in the book of Micah. These were priests. I think they went there because that's the place to them. I know where there's swaddling cloths. I know where there's mangers. I know where we do this. And they probably went there, and it was a cave. So I'm not trying to ruin your perspective of Christmas, but there's no mention in the, in the Christmas story in the Bible of a donkey. You know, Mary was three about three months pregnant when they went on this journey, to Bethlehem it was about an 80 to 90 mile walk it's probably why she gave birth you know the doctor says walk I don't know she probably she probably rode in a caravan we don't know but there's no mention of a donkey there's no mention of a stable there's no mention of like a hotel there's no mention of an innkeeper anywhere there's no mention of many things so I I love the story I just think this is actually what happened and in the cave I think it was a cave It doesn't really matter, and I'll get into that in a moment, but even just for more, for those of you who love history, Justin the Martyr, he was one of the first, earliest church fathers, also known as Justin the Apologist. Incredible mind. He wrote in his writings about the cave where Christ was born. That was within 70 years of Jesus' life who was the other one, Tertullian, who came just after Justin, he wrote the same thing. Jerome, the early church father, who was the most learned in Latin, he translated the Bible into Latin and so forth, he was an incredible man, actually, Jerome, St. Jerome, they've called him. He had a writing, I think, yeah, belonging now to us, that's the area, in the cave where once the infant Christ cried. It's just interesting. I think that's what happened. I love the story, I really do. But what happened begins, begins to point you to the why. That there's a child, sweet, in a sense, baby Jesus, who is prepared at birth to die for sin. It starts really early on. It's, it's fascinating to me. So, I wonder if you can go back. That was the first text. It's, we're going to go back to Luke 1, and we're going to talk about the why. And if you can turn on your Bibles, if you have one, to Luke one forty six. We're going to read a little bit here. This is the song of Mary. So Mary, she goes to Elizabeth, her cousin, so to speak, or she's related to Elizabeth. She goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and the baby leaps in the womb. Just for the ladies in the room, I'm going to give you some cool things, right? The first person to recognize Christ was an unborn child. Consider that in today's world. First person. You think about it in today's world. It was an unborn child was the first one to recognize Christ. The first person to prophesy, which was there had been 400 years of silence. The Spirit of God hadn't spoken in a sense. The first person to prophesy was a woman. The second person to prophesy was a woman. It's amazing they, they broke through 400 years of silence. So that happens. There's a lot of supernatural activity happening in this family. They're very excited. There's been supernatural dreams and visitations. And imagine that, all happening within one family, and they're not allowed to tell anyone. That's all going on, you know, Zachariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary. You know, I think Joseph had to have the angel appear. I'm pregnant, but I've actually never slept with anyone. Really? So the angel comes to Joseph and says, really, in our, in our language. So then... Mary begins to prophesy, Mary begins to speak out of this reaction of Elizabeth declaring that child in you is the Lord, and Mary says this, verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's not making a big deal about herself. We have to understand. She's talking about from generation to generation. She understands that this is something that was promised way back when. She even says it at the end. To Abraham's seed, being one, seeds, seed, Christ. And she recognizes all those years... I'm a fulfillment of all of that. How many of us know the promises of God are often not for one generation? Mary sees herself in a context, which is very right to do so. In verse 51, this is the verse that we're going to talk about today. It it jumped out at me, and uh, I felt to talk about it today. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. We'll read the rest. Uh, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. But Luke 151. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. This verse grab my affection grab my attention this morning i think often um, this week i think often we we read through things quickly but there's so much context they had understanding of the context because they knew the scriptures that it was part of their, their lifestyle and so forth that word arm is mentioned it's not just arm okay that word arm is Brachyon, it's mentioned two of the times in scripture the one is when i think it's luke 12:38 yeah luke 12:38 he quotes isaiah 53 he said lord Who has believed our report, and to who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's speaking about salvation. If you're a believer this morning and you're with us, you'll most likely know that Isaiah 53 is a major central chapter in the Old Testament. It's the whole chapter about the atonement for sin and Jesus dying on the cross. So this word arm, when Mary says that, that he has shown strength with his arm, it's only mentioned two other times. And the other time is in Acts 13, verse 16 and 17. It says, Paul preaching, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, when with an uplifted arm he brought them out. So we're talking about the why. And Mary starts to speak about this child within her. And she talks about the arm of the Lord. This is why he came. This is it's the arm of the Lord. And the other two times it's mentioned, the one is specifically speaking about the cross, points directly to the cross, the atonement, the sacrifice for sin and so forth. The other one is the physical example of salvation. We know, most of us, that in the Old Testament, the natural, right? New Testament, spiritual. Are you with me? The Old Testament was the practical, the natural, to shadow a spiritual happening in the New Testament. It points back to Exodus, their deliverance, their salvation from Egypt. So both of them are actually talking about salvation. When it says in Acts 13 that he exalted the people, it doesn't mean if I exalt you, if I exalt Josh, which is difficult. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean I'm worshiping him. There, it means to lift out of, to take out and lift up where you are not able to do it on your own. Does that make sense? To, to, to lift out, to pull out, it's what David says in Psalm 40. He lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and out of the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. Even David is pointing back to Egypt. When he talks about the mud and the muck and the mire, what are you talking about? Egypt. It's the same thing that Paul's saying in Acts. It's pointing back to when there were slaves in another country in another person's kingdom. They were literally, physically in the mud and the muck and the mire with straw making bricks. Think about this. They were making bricks as slaves building another's kingdom. Not their own. When there were aliens and strangers, like Acts 13 says, they were in Egypt. When they were born into slavery... When we are born on the earth, we are born into slavery to sin. When they were working hard to build the kingdom of Pharaoh, what was their wage? Well, they didn't get paid. They were slaves. They were born into slavery. They got no wage. What was the wage of working hard all of their life? Their wage was death. We have to understand the wages of sin is death. They they worked hard all their life just to earn death building another's kingdom, because they were born into slavery, they didn't have a choice. And so Paul says, it is the arm of God that has to reach down and pull you out of that situation. You cannot, of your own accord, do it. You cannot. The arm of the Lord is the only thing that can change the position of a man's heart. It's the only thing that can change the position in eternity. It's the only thing, the strength of God, the the invasion of God, the interruption of God. I've personally, many of you know, I come from a very colorful past, but yet I, I grew up in the church. I knew the truth. It doesn't matter how I grew up. The arm of God still had to come and pull me out. It just does. The only reason that he can do it is because in order to change man's position, you have to change his condition. You have to change the human condition. The human condition, we're born into the earth as slaves to something. As slaves to something. We're born as slaves to sin. That's what the Bible says. We have imputed sin. Because of what Adam did, unfortunately, it rolled on forever. It continues to affect. You're born with this issue. Billy Graham used to it, call it the disease, uh, incurable disease that you're born with. And it affects the nature and the man and the heart and everything. It affects everything. So the Bible says we're born into this, just like they were born into slavery in Egypt. And you can work hard all your life, you can work hard all your life to earn death in that position, in that state, because you're a slave. You're a slave. Even if a person doesn't do bad things, we have to understand this. It's not about what you can do. Even if a person doesn't do bad things, we are naturally inclined to that. We all train our children not to follow their inclination. Well, at least I try to train mine. Don't do that. (laughs) We train them not to try to follow what becomes natural to them. But even if we try really hard, even if we work, even if we don't do bad things, if I've met some people that have such self-discipline, such strong wills, it's amazing. That doesn't mean their condition has changed just means that they have a strong soul. They have an ability to not follow this inclination. But their condition has not been changed. Because you cannot, out of your own strength, pick yourself up with your own arm. Even in the natural, you can't do that. So we have to understand, when Mary starts to speak about the strength of God's arm. She's talking about this in my belly. This child is heaven sending someone, sending an answer to pull us out of what we are born into, just like people in Egypt, born into slavery, born into mud and mire, born into, born into building the systems and the kingdoms of this world like they did for Pharaoh, and then dying, earning deaths. Mary said, he's the answer to that. Because we cannot do that by our own strength. We have to understand, if I can quickly go over this, in the garden, the heart, when Adam fell, when Adam sinned, the heart of man changed. Something very huge happened. There's much that happened, but his spirit died. The Bible says, You will surely die. His spirit died, and self was born. What do I mean by his spirit died? His spirit died very simply this. The part that relates to God, the part that has fellowship with God, died. Hello? Yeah, the part that has fellowship with God died. It just died. This is why people who are very smart and scientifically minded... They can debate and fight forever. It's not something you can understand because the Spirit relates to God. It relates to God. It does not relate to the things of the world and the things of earth. And so they think, well, I don't understand the whole God thing. I don't. Well, they're blind. It's not a, it's not, they're no, we're not better than them. We were all blind, but now we see. Because it's not something that we can do out of ourselves. And that's what happened. The spirit died. And when you start to put your faith in Christ, the spirit part of you comes alive and fellowship with God is born. It says, and then, then, and only then, you understand. Then you see. For I once was blind, but now I see. Then the weight comes off you. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to and prayed with and sat. I could not count. And we've prayed for them. and They said, oh, this... Weight came off of me. I didn't even know it was there. People say, well, this, I don't have a weight, you know. You probably do if you're, if you're not with the Lord. There's, there's a weight that comes off. There's a, the Bible talks about the weight of sin. It's something that you cannot deal with. And that's the spirit has died. That happened in the garden. The other thing itself was born, and I won't go too much into this, but Self was born, not not that they were I mean they were already there, but building our, the world, our worlds around ourself at the center. That was born in the garden. They, they were very happy and everything was OK till they sinned. Instantly, they became self-conscious, self-conscious, Self-image. I'm naked, I was ashamed, I was afraid. All self-focus. Instantly, they started to uh, throw someone else under the bus to preserve self. They started to blame someone else. God, it was you. God, it was the woman. No, it was the enemy. No. Instantly, instantly, self, the focus on self, to preserve self, to at the cost of another, that started instantly. The spirit died, and so we were all of a sudden built around we are the God of our own world. You still with me? Very important. Self. One of the most tragic parts of that is this belief the, the devil said you will know good and evil. That doesn't mean they will know good things and they will know evil things. It actually in the Hebrew means you will know an expanse that you don't know now from one side to the other, from good to evil. You will have full knowledge. But it's a, a knowledge of the wisdom of this world. It's corrupted knowledge. That's, they already were wise. He said you'll be made wise. They already were wise. They were made in God's image. And that died, that part died. And self became the center. And so what happens with that full knowledge is this one very specific thought. Is that I of my own merit. It's called self-righteousness. Not self-righteous when a person's just being a jerk. Okay? I'm not talking about that. The self-righteousness where I on my own merit can face death. I in my own works. I am by myself around my own. I can take care of this issue, this condition, the human condition. I can deal with it by myself. That comes with this full knowledge, this wisdom of the world. Because the gospel, that's crazy, that's foolish. God and Jesus, no. That came from the garden. That came from the garden. That's what I said earlier. in The natural, you cannot pick yourself up by your own arm. If I try to pick myself up, if I did, you should all run out of here. There's some funny things going on. But if I pick myself up by my own arm, it's impossible. And that's what self-righteousness said. I'm born with a certain condition. It's actually stirred up by the law. You know the Bible says that. Who was the first person to have the law? Adam. Don't eat of the tree. It's like with my children. Son, don't put your finger in the outlet. Instantly, he starts to go to the outlet. It's like, it's, this, it's built into us. It's like, I think that what's there is good, and you don't want me to have it. And I want it. That's what instant starts to happen. This is what happened with Adam. The Bible says the law law stirs it up. It makes us aware of the way we've been built. It's built into us. And self-righteousness says, I can change the condition of my heart. If you've been married for more than three or four years, you know it's very difficult for another to change. We say that with much grace and affection. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot. We just cannot. So when the Bible says in Luke 151, he has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Do you know that that's what she's talking about? The person who thinks, I can of my own merit. I'm not calling those people proud in a mean way. It's just the fallen wisdom of the world. Genesis 8 says, the imagination of a man's heart, it's the same phrase. The imagination of a man's heart is wicked or evil from youth. That's not God's original design, friend. He didn't make you like that. That came at the fall. It becomes corrupted, very young. The imagination of the heart. And she says, the proud in the imagination of the heart are those who think, I don't need who's in my belly, not mine. Although it may look like that sometimes. But I don't, I don't need who's, who married Jesus. I don't need him. She says, those will be scattered and brought low. It's actually what she's saying in one sentence. In one sentence, he has shown strength with his arm, not your arm. He can do it, pull you out. No one else can. Because it's part of you. For you to rid yourself of the sin that is in you, you would have to, in a sense, die. Because it's part of you, it's built into you. That's why Paul says, You were crucified with Christ. It's, I mean, God's, he's smart, you know? He knows what he's doing. You die with Christ so that you're raised with Christ, so that that part is gone. It's the only way. It is the only way. Romans 4 says, verse 3 to 6, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If I work for Duane, and then he owes me money, because I've worked for him, an agreed wage and so forth. He's not giving me a gift when he gives me that money. It's mine. I've earned it. Now, he's actually indebted to me until he's paid me. Very simple. That's all he's saying. That to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for him as righteousness. Him who does not work, but believes. Him who becomes a place to understand there is nothing I can do to change the human condition. There's nothing I can do. There's no works I can do. Almost every other religion, every other faith, whatever you want to call it, almost everyone, I would say everyone, but I'm sure there's one new one that I don't, is built on the opposite principle. It's built on the exact opposite principle. What you can do, what you can accomplish, what you can build up, how good you are and earning. Paul says, for him who does not work, For whom who understands, there was a rescuer born once in Bethlehem, many years ago. To change the hearts of men and women. And it's the only way, because you cannot work to earn that. We are, Paul called himself an alien and stranger in this world, just like they were talking about in Egypt. Egypt. We're not from here. When you get born again, suddenly your kingdom is another. To him, he does not work. The gospel used to be good news. It still is, but it's not preached like that anymore. It's become good advice. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. It's why the world, I think, runs from the church. Can we be real this morning? It used to be good news. The word evangelism comes from those wonderful people called evangels. They used to run over the mountains and hills after it was a battle and shout victory or defeat. It was news of something that had taken place. It was the proclamation that there's been a victory. The people in the city who would the watchtower, people on the wall who would look for the evangels running. They would declare to the city, you know, on the wall like in a castle, they would declare, There's been victory. It was a big deal. Why? Because it meant that their wife and children would not be taken as slaves, would not be killed, would not be sold, would not be placed in the kingdom of another. That's good news. The people in the city did nothing to earn that victory. They did nothing to earn that freedom, nothing. And those evangelists who would run and pro- it's the proclamation of a battle that's been won. It's not what you should do today and what you should do tomorrow. That's the gospel. It's what's been won, that once there was a baby, he was wrapped, even at his birth, as an atonement for sin. That's what it means. Jesus was born as the right arm of God to exalt, to lift us out of working hard all our lives, simply to earn the wage of death. But rather, the gift of life comes through Jesus Christ you're here this morning, you're saying, I, I hear what you're saying. And I recognize now that I need Jesus. I need him. It's not hard. You suddenly, your heart, you know, I need Jesus. I need him. Lord, save me, change me, help me, rescue me. We'd love to pray for you. If you are here this morning, and I don't mean to make it awkward, but you're sitting there because your family's dragged you to church firstly, well done, <laughs> but if you're sitting there and you say, you know what, I don't actually believe in this stuff. You spoke well, it's great, makes historical sense, but I don't believe in this stuff. I don't believe in all this God and Jesus, and, but I'm here because I'm showing love to my family. That's actually quite good. I want to challenge you, and I want to I speak to you if, you, if there is anyone like that. If you don't believe this, I'm going to ask you I'm going to plead with you rather, to simply pray a prayer because you have nothing to lose because if you don't believe it it, it's just words right you may not even call it prayer because you don't believe in who you're praying to I'm going to ask you to simply say this and we'll do it in a moment Jesus if you are real if you are the truth then show me somehow begin to change my heart reveal yourself to me the Bible says the armor of the Lord is revealed to whom has the armor of the Lord been revealed there's a there's a a appealing back of a layer that many people in this room has been through and something is revealed that you just could not see before no matter how brilliant you may be so I'm gonna because you have nothing to lose I'm gonna say can you pray that with me in a moment Merry Christmas to everybody. I mean that. Friends, it's good news. It really is good news. There was only one who was rapt. He was destined at birth to die for the sin of everybody. That God, when God dies, the God man died. It's to deal with sin once for all. The age of grace is now what we live in because of that. So I wonder if we could stand for a moment. If there are those that want to say, Lord, I, that's me. I wanna say, Jesus, I come to you. I need you. I see that I need you. I'm gonna ask you to be bold and to come up. We're gonna have some ministry guys up here right now, actually. I wanna ask you to come up and pray with him. If you hear this morning in that, that second category, saying, you're great, buddy, but I, I don't believe that. While well, you have nothing to lose, I'm gonna pray this over the mic. I'm gonna plead with you to say this under your breath because Jesus only needs a little gap. And he will show you that he is alive. That he was once born and now he died and now he's alive. And he he is real. And he is alive. And he is the way to God. He is the way to salvation. And he will literally show you. Can we pray this for those of you who don't believe? Why don't we say it all together to help them? Can we say this? Jesus, Jesus, if you are real, if you are the truth, then show me. Somehow change my heart and reveal yourself to me wonderful father I thank you for all these wonderful people I thank you Jesus that you are the king that you are the king Lord that you were destined to die that you were destined when you were born it was celebration the king has come the Messiah has come we love you Lord we bless you I thank you that we can have family over this time that we can have fun that we can have gifts because you were a gift that we can have that we can enjoy we don't have to be religious and sad and somber it's a celebration that Jesus is risen and Jesus can deal with sin Jesus can deal with the heart of man